What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, my loves. This week's guest is Catherine M. Roach. Catherine is a professor of gender and cultural studies in Alabama. She has over 25 years of research and teaching experience on gender and sexuality studies in American popular culture. Her new book, Good Sex, Transforming America Through the New Gender and Sexual Revolution, is an engaging, accessible guidebook featuring such topics as equity, intersectionality, and shared pleasure while offering a lively discussion that is inclusively feminist, queer-friendly, and sex-positive without being divisive. This is a teacher that I know you're going to wish you had at your uh, university education, just or just as a you know a wealth of information about how we're going to navigate these sort of changing waters of sexuality, particularly in pop culture. This was such an interesting conversation. We know you're going to love it. So thanks for showing up again to listen this week. We love you, and we'll see you on the other side. Um, this is going to be really cool. Uh, Bride, we're, we're sitting down today with, uh, Catherine Roach, uh, who is a professor of gender and cultural studies in new college down in Alabama, college of arts and sciences. And, uh, Catherine has a, uh, a longstanding, uh, career, uh, in research and teaching experiences on gender and sexuality studies in American pop culture. Which I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where this conversation is going to go, um, but uh, I'm, I'm super curious to talk about sexuality and, and gender expression through the lens of pop culture, uh, because I feel like, you know, with 25 years of, of research in this area, uh, Catherine, I'm sure you've seen quite an evolution of the way that sexuality mm-hmm. and gender um, is being communicated in pop culture. Um, so I guess before we get into like the, the meat of that conversation, I'm, I'm kind of curious, how did you end up, uh, where you are today? What, what led you down this path to be, uh, researching and teaching something so, so unique and so interesting? Hmm. Well, uh, that is a mystery in some ways, right? How is it that any of us end up where we are? Uh, there's a geographic component to it and a, 
um, sort of a, a professional uh, interest component to it. I like you. I'm Canadian. We were chatting about this earlier um, from Ottawa. I did my undergraduate and a master's degree there, but then went to the United States for my PhD and eventually got hired at the University of Alabama, uh, where I'm working now. So New College is the the name of the unit within the University of Alabama, this big public state university Mm -hmm. in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where I work. So I've been on this, I ended up here literally because of this Southern migration uh, that my career has led me to. And this was the the place that offered me a job where I could do the sort of interdisciplinary work I do in gender, sexuality, pop culture. So I've been in that way really delighted to be here, uh, based at the University of Alabama, working through New College uh, with undergraduate students who are really engaged by these issues. Uh, and I guess it was th- them, my students, really, that led me to focus on gender and sexuality studies so much. Um, my original training, my graduate work was in religious studies, uh, thinking about mm. the academic uh, the, the academic study of religion, so the role of religion in shaping cultural uh, notions about uh, uh, what it means to be human, what it means to be a man, a woman, uh, uh, an embodied person living out gender and living out sexuality. A lot of our ideas come from religious traditions. Uh, so I started working in that area, but became increasingly interested in the gender and sexuality elements and then American pop culture because the job market brought me down to America. And uh, all of those things came together with my uh, students really taking up these issues. I teach small seminars for the most part here. And so there's a lot of interaction, discussion with students. And they just kept bringing these issues into our classroom, uh, thinking about sort of the the real need for more the curricular space, academic attention to issues of uh, sexuality in culture. There, there isn't really great sex ed, comprehensive sex education here across mm. the board. So a lot of our students come to campus as young adults without having had an opportunity to really think through these issues in informed, medically accurate, comprehensive, inclusive ways. And they carry a lot of trauma with them also, uh, trauma um, around issues of gender and sexuality and embodiment. So there seemed to be a, a real need to increasingly focus my teaching and research in that area. Uh, so a lot of it was driven by the students and uh, has been very rewarding, I would say, to be able to work with them on these issues. Cool. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned the, all your background in religion, because that, that was something when, when we kind of got the notice about your book that we're going to talk about, um, coming out and, and it wasn't, it, it, that information wasn't in your bio. I had to like hunt that down (laughs) elsewhere. And, uh, and it's such an interesting, um, it's, it's such an interesting thing to see. MA in religious studies, MA in religion in the modern West, PhD in religion in the modern West. And then mm-hmm. to know that this is the focus of your teaching mm. is really, really cool. Um, but also, I, you know, I, I want to I just kind of want to throw to a recent episode that we just we just uh, released recently mm-hmm. that that sort of it sort of makes sense to me now. Um, we recently spoke to uh, Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. Um, who, who wrote a book about, uh, the, the book was titled Sex, God, and the Conservative Church. And that conversation surrounded sex and shame, and that shame um, stemming from, uh, you know, a very puritanical way of, of teaching youth about sex, particularly in the United States, particularly in the, you know, early, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And, and the effect that that mm. had on the generations that, you know, that grew up in that time of learning sex, abstinence-based sexuality, stuff like that. And so, you know, to hear that you have this background in religious studies and now are also, uh, you know, putting a lot of your time and your efforts into, into teaching and researching sexuality um, in, in like today, like, you know, current uh, sexual and gender studies... Um, I can see the parallels there. Um, and that's, that's kind of like the, that's, that's one of the things that I was really curious to kind of talk to you about is, um, 
you know, we, we spoke to Tina Shermer Sellers about when we were, when we were young, what sex was viewed as, but we didn't really talk very much about what the conversations surrounding sexuality are like today. And I can imagine that they are very different. Uh, again, you know, when looking at pop culture and the way that sex is viewed and talked about uh, uh, today, it seems like it's evolved quite a bit from the early 90s. But I could be wrong. I, you know, I don't know much about much. So, so maybe I'll <laughs> let you step in there and, and maybe give me a little bit of insight. Well, no, I, I think those are all important points. Um, and I'm learning all the time, too. I'm here to think and to learn uh, in conversation with others and particularly with my students who actually teach me uh, a lot more about pop culture than I would ever be able to pick up on my own. So, yeah, I have this notion of a new gender and sexual revolution that I've been thinking about. And again, I get a lot of this from my students. So uh, a sense that there is, uh, particularly in American society, but thinking more broadly, North America, Western Europe, um, the sense of even in the, just the last decade, a real openness um, toward issues of gender and sexual diversity. So in the United States, literally just this week, the, the Respect for Marriage Act has been passed by Congress, signed by the president, that uh, emphasizes again the 2015 uh, Supreme Court uh, decision that made same-sex marriage across the country. And I know it's already been legal in Canada for even longer so issues like gender and sexual diversity and the quality of marriage, the Me Too movement in 2017 that drew this you know, hard line against issues of sexual assault and removed a lot of the shame and taboo against talking for uh, survivors of sexual assault to come forward. Uh, how transgender issues are much more mainstream now than before. Mm -hmm. How like but one in five Gen Z students identifies as LGBTQ. So that there's this new emphasis on gender and sexual diversity, on uh, sex positivity, body acceptance, and the, the body positivity movement is part of that also. So I think there is these really positive developments uh, within the last decade that I, I, I sort of frame as this new gender and sexual revolution. So to that extent, there is something new happening uh, in my happy optimistic days when I'm feeling good about this. I see this positive <laughs> yeah. direction uh, towards sexual justice, uh, intimate justice, gender justice really happening. Uh, but at the same time, these, these issues that you were bringing up of the sort of uh, a puritanism or a sex negativity um, are there as well. And yeah. I think that's one thing that is particularly acute in America, uh, that you sort of have both at the same time, that there's this paradox in the culture uh, that in some ways it's like a sex saturated culture. It seems like sexuality is everywhere uh, used in uh, advertising, semi-nude bodies to sell uh, various products. Uh, so this sort of sex saturated landscape, but at the same time, uh, this sense of taboo around sexuality, that it can't be talked about in a, an open way that there's poor quality or, or um, inconsistent quality sex education across the, the landscape, uh, that there's still lingering problems of uh, sexual injustice, of sexual assault, of gender inequality. So it is not a, a utopia by any means, uh, but mm. I think that there are positive directions that um, we have been seeing unfold, uh, particularly among younger Gen Z students who are really driving this wave, I think, toward uh, sexual justice, intimate justice. Mm. From, like a, from like a bit of a historical context, e e even though I feel like a lot of this seems quite recent, like... Where where do you think this where do you think this revolution is stemming from? Like, do you think it do you think it's do you think we're seeing this stem from the the movements that are quite again quite recent, like the you know the the twenty twenty fifteen um uh law that was passed in the U.S. seeing you know mm -hmm. same sex marriage being legalized, the Me Too movement. Like, is it are we literally seeing the 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 aftermath of these? shifts in the culture and and this and this is how it's playing out or or does it go even further back you know does it does it mm -hmm. tap into that the uh, 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 maybe a um uh a, a an almost a realization of how fucked up the the system was in the or 80s and 90s with that that abstinence based education and how those generations uh, you know are 
are viewing what they grew up with and and actually conceptualizing that hey that wasn't that wasn't okay for me and that didn't mm-hmm. actually that that actually is that has brought on trauma or that has brought on shame and so I'm going to make sure that you know my children um don't fall don't don't have the same pitfalls that you know that I went through um you know it, does it go for that far back or, you know, where, where, yeah, where is it? Where is this so. coming from? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a long legacy of uh, shame um, and based in inequities uh, in various forms of discrimination. And really, mm. I think what we're talking about is a very intersectional uh, uh, wave of justice today. So if we're talking about sexual justice, gender justice is very much linked into it. So the whole the feminist movement, the history of of uh, women's rights, of advocacy for equity and uh, 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 a real commitment to gender justice that very much plays part of this. So going back to the early roots of the women's movement in mid 19th century. So racial justice intersects with these issues also a disability justice too, in terms mm-hmm. of the, the body positivity, body acceptance mm-hmm. movement. So I think what we're seeing is a, a moment in time where there's a, um, Ideally, uh, a commitment to gender equity, um, along with uh, racial equity, disability equity, like so all of these things coming together around a real commitment to uh, inclusion, diversity and equity. So a a broad understanding of justice where positive sexuality plays into that. And there is a yeah, so a a long legacy of um, shame of taboo of sort of oppression and injustice mm. uh that are behind all of those things having gone through everything we've gone through in the last few years um with regards to all these subjects uh i'm curious because when i read your bio i was thinking about how grateful i would have been to have been in an academic environment especially during me too um but some of the other things that happened all have been happening around it. If I, if I could just go into my academic setting, particularly if I was studying something like this and have it explained to me in a, in the context of society and culture, um, and have, and have been guided through that a little bit, because I think it was really intense for, for me, but it was really intense for a lot of people, for everybody, Mm. uh, no matter what side, uh, what gender, what, where you land in all of that. Um, and it, it would have been nice. I'm wondering, looking back on that, if you, if you could sort of narrate a, uh, a, a handheld journey through the last few years of like, I don't know, as a teacher and a guide on like, you know, with knowing what you know now, what, what conversations do you think, let's just focus around me too, specifically you, you might have had in those classrooms that would have supported all of the students through that huge event? Yeah, I think the Me Too movement starting in 2017 uh, was very powerful uh, in the United States here, and then with these worldwide repercussions, that it, it really um, started to take off and resonate with people around the world in different countries. They had their own form of sort of a Me Too movement, and it's something that the students in my classroom very much resonated with. Um, hookup culture and college campuses, university campuses, is a it's a a breeding ground for non-consensual uh, sexual encounters or gray area sexual encounters. Young people who are still trying to figure out their 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 sexuality, their desire, um, developing dating skills, developing just communication, self-advocacy skills, negotiation and refusal skills. And there's often a lot of uh, uh, binge drinking, uh, mm. excessive consumption of alcohol and drugs, and and so that complicates consent even more. So these the students they they were living these issues. They see a lot of their friends getting caught up in these issues, and then they're seeing it in the culture as the Me Too movement was you know, coming further and further uh, into the, the the press and just like getting millions of likes on Facebook when the Me Too uh, hashtag first came out. 
so that it we talked about it a lot in the classroom and i think one thing that's that's most valuable about the me too movement is is exactly that the the space it created for conversation in the culture the sense that because there were so many people talking about it at once there was this safety in numbers a sense of community uh so people coming forward and being able to tell their story and feel supported by it uh, by just the the presence of others going through the same thing also talking sharing their stories uh and then so taking away that that shame uh that we were talking about earlier shame and taboo about your experience as a survivor of sexual assault um that sense of community one thing that i found particularly um sort of surprising at first although in retrospect i shouldn't have been surprised is the the extent to which guys uh, would have their own story of their consent being violated also in sure. various ways. So that the Me Too movement wasn't just about women, uh, but it's about people of all gender, uh, all genders having been surviving experiences where their consent was not uh, taken seriously, where mm. it was violated, or they, they experienced coercion, manip emotional manipulation, um, vertical relationships of power imbalances that make it difficult to give full informed consent. So the more I was able to create a space, uh, like a safe, supportive space in the classroom for us to talk about these issues and to analyze them intellectually, what sort of forces go into creating this type of rape culture, uh, the more we heard students and, you know, just across all genders, all backgrounds, talking about such experiences yeah. and what needs to change to create uh, a culture of sexual justice instead. Yeah, it's it reminds me. So, I, my other podcast, um, we speak to you know people who live with illness or 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 health professionals, people who professionals and researchers on the sphere of health. And uh, I remember when COVID was popping off early days, we, you know, we were talking to an epidemiologist and I was like, man, your, your job right now is very exciting. Like there is a lot going on. And I can, I can imagine it's, it was very, it, and is very similar for someone in your position who's talking about sexuality and gender at a time where it's very much at the forefront of everybody's, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's psyche. Like it, it's, it's something that's being still to this day constantly talked about constantly in the in the media mm -hmm. constantly in the news um i don't think i heard anyone use the word consent until oh. after me too and now it's like all we talk about at massage therapy school <laughs> yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean and like you know we get asked to speak at universities and stuff and that's always that's what they want it's always about. the head of the you know the top of the list of mm -hmm. the things that we want to cover um yeah universities that, have become very interested and there can be a paradox there too like there's a lot of consent education on uh, university college campuses mm. a lot of effort to try to address uh issues of what does consent look like but they, sometimes the rhetoric like the rhetoric can be very good but still the reality the lived experience of students doesn't always match up to yeah. Yeah. uh this 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 rhetoric of here's what consent is and uh we're never going to engage in any sort of uh sexual experience that doesn't it isn't fully consensual and and there's ways in which the university experience itself can seem to undercut that with and to the extent that it positions itself as a, a party school or a place sure. for young people to experiment and so there's there's mismatch and there's a lot of struggle of figuring it all out. But um, the extent to which we're talking about consent, I think, is hugely important and very hopeful. Mm. Like when it when it comes to teaching, you know, teaching a, a subject that at its core is kind of resting within this paradox where there's you know sex sexuality and sex is simultaneously you know riddled with shame riddled with taboo yet there's also this you know this revolution of of sexuality and gender happening before our eyes as mm -hmm. as a as a professor as someone trying to communicate these types of conversations and and teaching within this curriculum do you find that there is that there's like do you find it to be divisive to teach this stuff or to to kind of dive into this type of material um, 
within within your within the student body? Like, is there a lot of do you does it does it you have to does it stimulate a lot, of- a lot of debate? Yeah, right. Is there a lot of like mediation to kind of cool tempers and and make sure that it's a very like even playing excuse me playing field? I haven't really experienced that. No. Um, mm. I find that there's a huge hunger on the part of the students. Uh, I created this, I, I, I normally teach these smaller lecture classes of about 16 students, but a few years ago when Me Too movement was happening and all this conversation about consent, um, I felt like I needed to scale up the small seminar and offer it to a, a larger lecture class so that I could have a bigger impact on campus conversations around sexuality and sexual health, what that looks like. I wanted to create more space for more students to be able to think and talk and read and write about these topics. So I made a a much bigger class and I committed to teaching it every single semester. Uh, So I have about 80 students every term. And the course just fills up like that. It's called Sexuality and Society. And there's what I've experienced is this hunger to learn more, to think more, to have that sort of safe curricular space. And it hasn't been divisive. Um, The students seem to lap it up. And as I said, our our Gen Z young adult uh, demographic uh, is in many ways leading this wave of uh embodying for their own their own demographic and then accepting in all demographics uh and and equity uh around issues of gender and sexual diversity like about 20 percent of them identify as lgbtq now and they all pretty much all of them support same-sex marriage marriage equality now it's just not a controversial issue Mm. for young people uh in america today so there's this what I see is a sense of openness, uh, a sense of um, just embrace. And there are young people trying to figure out issues of relationship and desire and um, you know, partners. They, they want a space where they can uh, uh, be able to work out these ideas. And it, it has not, I've actually never experienced that sort of divisiveness that you were talking about in the classroom. They're inevitably invariably respectful of each other mm. and um eager to have this uh a space and time to to think through issues of sexuality today cool turn me on podcast we'll be back after this short break how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
something I've noticed in the classroom at my, at my school, uh, the teachers, they're, they're, they work very hard to make sure that notes get updated and that their languaging gets updated around anatomy. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted to ask you, what the what is the latest on how we refer cuz i still i'll hear them you know i hear so many different things uterus owners female presenting anatomy like mm. and wh- what like i don't know if it all means the same thing or if there are different uh times when we're talking about anatomy that we should be um using specific language. Does that come up in your, Mm -hmm. in your classrooms as well? Well, it's, it's a great point, Bridie, and refers um, like to sort of this larger issue about language uh, having been very much based in the gender binary. So traditionally we understand gender as a binary. If you're male, you're female, there's these two boxes, right? The M, the either tick the M box or the F box and everybody has been divided in one of those two. And so part of this notion of um, new gender and sexual revolution is we're thinking uh, about gender in more complicated ways. So not just a a strict binary that everybody has to be bifurcated into uh, one or the other category. So thinking more about people who are intersex, who are born with uh, intersex conditions, which can be uh, like about two different, two dozen different uh, biological inborn conditions based on uh, differences of gender, sex development, uh, and thinking about people who are transgender Mm. uh, as opposed to cisgender, and thinking about people who identify as non-binary in one way or another. So all of that complicates, all these different categories of people complicate the gender binary and make us think about it in different terms. So one example uh, in our university um, registration rules when students enroll in our classes and enroll at the university in in general, they can indicate um, their pronoun preference. So we get, all of the professors get lists of our students enrolled at the beginning of the term and they can indicate their preference for she, her pronouns, he, him pronouns, or they, them pronouns. And that's becoming something that you see more of all the time too, of people talking about their preferred pronouns and students using they, them pronouns. So uh, identifying beyond the gender binary. And so, and what you were talking about of, uh, in terms of genit- uh, anatomy and, and genital nomenclature and how do we refer to people? I, I think a lot of that's up in the air now. So I don't know, a person, a uterus owner you were mentioning, uh, yeah. <laughs> someone who has a uterus, because you could be uh, a transgender man and, but have a, uh, I'm actually thinking of Buck Angel, uh, a transgender guy who worked as a a porn star earlier and now is a transgender activist and sort of human rights activist and speakers on American colleges. And he's he's a trans man, but he talks about uh, his pussy. He loves his pussy. (laughs) He's he's the man with the pussy. He uses this term all the time. Uh, And he's very proud of having a vagina. Uh, And so suddenly we these issues get more complicated of how we talk about the human body and the gender binary. Um, so I think there's no one answer to your question, actually. It's like mm-hmm. an ongoing question. Language in all realms uh, evolves all the time, right? As new science and technology developments add new words into our vocabulary and thinking about gender and sexuality in new ways can add new terms into vocabulary. So that's one of the exciting things about language. It can evolve to uh, follow along with human, uh, the evolution of human culture. It's kind of interesting while you're saying that. I'm like, yeah, it's like learning the English language again. And you just, (laughs) instead of using a word, you have to use a new collection of words to to describe your meaning. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's complicated too. And that's part of why Older generations in particular sometimes feel like there's just too much going on here and like it's too different from what they grew up with. Uh, and that can cause, you know, change in any realm can understandably, understandably cause sort of anxiety. It's a lot to get used to, to wrap your head around. What's this they, them pronouns now? Um, and some people find it just sort of too much to deal with or anxiety provoking because it's too different from what came before. 
so I understand that. And that's why I, I never try to shame people about, you know, dealing, sort of processing these issues, because it is a lot to do. Change is always hard to come to terms with. Yeah, you really realize like, okay, it's in all the books. It's in all the textbooks. It's in like, we're just, it's just been binary. Apparently, it since <laughs> books were made. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of books, um, you have a book that just came out in October. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Good Sex, Transforming America Through the New Gender and Sexual Revolution. And uh, we've talked a lot now about the new gender and sexual revolution. And I'm really curious what 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 role it is going to have in transforming America. What's what's in the pages of this book? (laughs) Well, ideally, um, when I'm feeling optimistic and the students are giving me energy and hope for the future, it's uh, a. a direction of sexual justice, of intimate justice, uh, that we're moving toward. Um, there are less hopeful days <laughs> when I, I'm concerned about uh, where, when we're going to get there. If this is, you know, to what extent this is really happening. But I think one can see a, a positive direction in terms of these issues of equity, inclusion, justice. So when I, I talk about the this new gender and sexual revolution sort of unfolding in the culture and young people in particular, Gen Z demographic leading the wave. Um, I see there being five components to it in particular, and that's what the book tries to trace out in its five main sections. So a greater embrace of positive sexuality. Uh, the, the second is a, a normalizing of diversity around gender and sexual identity. Uh, the third point is the body positivity or the body acceptance movement, which intersects mm. with disability justice and racial justice. Uh, that that's something we see more and more of. Uh, the fourth point is a strong commitment to consent that really stems from the Me Too movement and the all the conversation around that uh, in the culture. And then the fifth point is an emphasis on shared pleasure, the equity of pleasure, uh, how good sex uh, and here I'm playing on the notion of of good as both ethical and pleasurable as part mm. of the definition of good. So this new gender and sexual revolution uh, leading us toward good sex, sex which is uh, always ethical, consensual, but also sex which is pleasurable, um, that feels good, that satisfies desire. So the equity of pleasure, um, issues there like closing the orgasm gap and heterosexual hookup sex and uh, porn literacy and uh, this term of clitoracy, literacy about the clitoris, about female mm. sexual pleasure. Uh, so those elements all ideally are coming together in this cultural um, moment of gender and sexual justice, which uh, I, hopefully uh, we're seeing more and more unfold through the culture, not without backlash. Obviously, there's lots of backlash around all of this, and it's uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But as I said, on a good day, I'm hopeful that uh, we're heading toward a future of greater justice. Mm. I, I notice that you have some other books that you have written as well. And uh, it I just make is writing just something that seamlessly fits into your very busy <laughs> teaching career? I do love to write. Uh, it's part of my job as a professor here at the University of Alabama, all of the professors we do we have a research and writing agenda that needs to result in publications uh and i do find a particular pleasure in writing it's a form of um expression a form of working one's will in the world uh it's a form of communication and i teach a lot of writing classes with the Mm -hmm. students too where i use writing as a medium to help them find their voice. Uh, there's a lot of elements, I think, that overlap with uh, with positive sexuality, even in writing and learning to write well. It's about uh, um, vulnerability and so, uh, opening oneself. Like when you put a book out there in the world, that's a vulnerable mm-hmm. act. It's an intimate act, really. Uh, and there's, uh, there's difficulty and risk in writing as in uh, sexual encounters. A lot of it's about fantasy and imagination, uh, also about flow. Uh, so I do, I do love writing. It's hard. Writing's hard, uh, mm. but it's a great uh, pleasure as well. 
Yeah, they sound really diverse and really very interesting. I, I caught the eye of um, it caught my eye. The title of the, the of Mother Nature is mm-hmm. one of your books, Pop- Popular mm-hmm. Culture and Environmental Ethics, mm. which just seems like it would be a fascinating a fascinating read. Um, another one called Happily Ever After, which is just it's perfect because. I'll often say about my and Jeremy's marriage that when we got married, like we knew by that, by that time that Disney was lying, like we already knew there was no happily ever ever after. So it was like, we were prepared for that, but like not much else, you know, it's like, okay, Disney didn't quite get it right, but, but just wait until you see what's in store for you. Um, and then, and then I just found a word of, of a book, um, called stripping sex and pop, popular culture which i want to read I, that i really am again i'm like <laughs> sounds great your uh yeah your bibliography just every if i have every time i dig a little further i find another book so mm. um so we have a whole we have a whole uh, small library to catch up on now i'm well, I, out of very what, sweet variety thank you <laughs> out of what you teach now um i'm kind of curious like how and, and maybe this has really already been answered just by way of the conversation that we've been having. But um, I'm kind of curious how popular culture fits into the the curriculum. Um, you know, when when I hear the word pop culture, um, I think that that can mean a variety of different things. You know, I think typically mm-hmm. where my mind goes is like film and TV. You know, like what's what's happening on what are we seeing on Netflix these days? What are the stories being told? in the cinemas, uh, or, you know, on television. Um, but what does, what does pop culture in what's encompass, what, what does pop culture, um, encompass when, when, when that's being used in the curriculum that you're, that you're teaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me, a lot of it is about a way to connect with the students, uh, my undergraduate students and to empower them as, uh, researchers, so they they live in uh, the world of pop culture. So yes, like you were saying, uh, TV, movies, Netflix, um, also music is a really powerful realm of pop culture that shapes yeah. it. It reflects a lot of our notions of gender and sexuality, um, of justice and community, uh, and then it's where those ideas are worked out. Also, so I have an exercise in uh, my sexuality and society class. I call the gen sex pops. So gender it's short for gender, sexuality, pop culture analysis. And I have the students uh, uh, come up with these as assignments throughout the semester. They write these gen sex pops and I tell them to choose some element of the popular culture where they see uh, gender or sexuality or notions of the body being worked out in some way or another, and then to write about it. So to analyze uh, this this element of the pop culture. A lot of them bring in songs. So it could be the lyrics of the song or the song artist or a music video. Um, they bring in, like you said, Netflix and TV mm. shows and movies, uh, novels, graphic novels, uh, anime, manga. Uh, yeah, so it doesn't yeah. have to be American necessarily. And then it's interesting to compare different cultural contexts, um, realms of fashion, uh, celebrity culture, so where in the in the culture around us, uh, social media has become a big a big yeah. forum for portraying all of these popular oh, yeah. notions and yeah. driving them and pushing back against them. So all these different realms of the culture where there's um, portrayal of, but also contestation of, so experimentation with notions of gender and sexuality. Mm. Uh, and the students invariably know more than I do about this. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, it's sort of like a crowdsourcing exercise because I can only access so much uh, at a time, but when we have 80 bodies all, all thinking about, uh, you know, TV, uh, ads and movies that are coming out and new music and uh paris fashion week and mm-hmm. uh just throwing it all into the mix and how it's all being portrayed say on tiktok uh which is where most of my students are nowadays and sort of a youth culture driven social media platform that empowers people to uh have a voice and to talk about these issues to take them on uh, it's it, invariably fascinating. What yeah. We come up. Do you, do you recall like a, like, you know, maybe a recent pop sex 
uh, wet ass uh, pussy uh, uh, entry that that me I mean hey that's that, how I, many that, all you, 80 you just, people you, brought you, that you one you just in. wrote one right there right yeah. that was great <laughs> do, do you do you recall like a recent one that that uh, was submitted uh, that that you went oh wow like that's that actually um that actually really like surprised me or, or I didn't you know this is really new for me. Like, this is very fresh. I smell a new book brewing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. You're putting me on the spot now. I just I did know, all, I my, all my grading. <laughs> uh, just so many, really. Um, yeah. uh, there was this, I was talking about Paris Fashion Week, and there was this new line of unisex clothing and, like, man skirts. Uh, and yeah. so some of the students got really, like, a bro, like a bro skirt. A yeah. skirt designed specifically for guys. Uh, and actually several students wrote about that and some thought that was like totally cool and why not? And of course, and more choices is good. And then this other student uh, said that he, he just, he was like intrigued, but he could not get, he couldn't imagine being able to get away with wearing that. Yes. Like it felt, it felt scary to him, uh, that it would be, it would make him too vulnerable. Right. Yeah. Maybe, it, like it's, in Tuscaloosa, no, maybe in the streets of right. Toronto or, sure, uh, sure. Right. Uh, you know, Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was an issue we talked about. this. Yeah. Time. It's funny you brought that up because I literally just uh, the other night I just watched on uh, Amazon Prime the Rihanna's like annual um, Fenty show that she does. So uh-huh. it's uh-huh. actually really cool. Like I, my 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 partner was watching it and I was like, what is this? This is like a really sick hour and a half long music video what's going on and it's it's essentially it's a runway show um showing off rihanna's like you know fall and winter collection or whatever um it was called savage x fenty show right and right. so it's set Seems to long yes oh and my god it was amazing like it was it was so cool but it's essentially what like what what i was watching was you have a, a series of different artists that 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 rihanna brings in to perform and it's kind of like a a big like big music video with dancers and, and, and models. And, uh, but the models aren't like your average, I mean, sure. There's some like runway models that are very clearly, this is their job and this is what they do. Um, but they also are like pairing these run- runway models with like just your everyday average person, lots of different body shapes, lots of different, um, you know, looks, um, people of all, um, all like, um, you know, very, very diverse, like, like able, you know, able-bodied people, but also people with, with disabilities in there. And, uh, you know, I mean, lots of different sizes of bodies and they're all flaunting these, like this clothing line that like Rihanna has put out. And there was in that, I was like, wow, look at, like, look at some of the stuff some of these guys are wearing. Mm-hmm. I can't tell if this is, if, if this is men wearing something for the sh- for the spectacle of this or like can i go on the fenty website and order a like order this you know this like these wings this tube top or the <laughs> yeah or yeah or like or this skirt and of course you can and you know yes. we went to the website and i was looking through i was like man these look super comfortable and like i'm kind of i'm kind of leaning into this like i hey, really the like scottish it. men have been wearing kilts for uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly and making it look very sexy to make it, yes sexy. making it look amazing yeah so yeah, well that's a great example jeremy of uh yeah the pop culture as a Ooh. space of experimentation where all of that can come together of uh, sort of a, a a celebratory positive sexuality that intersects with Ooh. body diversity with disability advocacy with racial justice and that uh, shows how the body positivity movement, even when it's commercialized, they're they're selling clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be a very positive uh, force in society for for change. Yeah, that's mm. a great example. Mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, this has been a really really fascinating conversation. I mean, I I, I had a feeling coming into this that I was going to be really like really stimulated and very interested, and and uh, no doubt it's it's been exactly that, uh, Catherine. I want to say, first of all, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us. Um, secondly, uh, where can people find the book, uh, Good Sex, Transform- uh, Transforming America Through the New Gender and Sexual Revolution? Where, where can people get their hands on a copy? Uh, it's um, published by Indiana University Press. And I wanted to do a shout out to my publishers, my editor. They've been mm-hmm. great to work with and very supportive of the project. 
Um, they you can get the book from their website, Indiana University Press, or from Amazon, wherever uh, one buys books um, online. And you can encourage your local bookstore to stock copies mm. on the shelf. Uh, I have a website through the University of Alabama, my faculty website there, uh, Catherine Roach. Um, and I've run a newsletter during the academic term, the spring term and the fall term, uh, Sexuality and Society, where people can sign up on my website uh, to follow along with the class as we think through these issues of new gender and sexual revolution. Ooh. Very cool. Your students are lucky to have you. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're very sweet. Thank you for inviting me on today. I enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, it's thank you. This has been pleasure. a real treat. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.